Morning, everyone. Morning. And hello to everyone online. Welcome. Isn't it amazing to be here together in person, online, on this 75-degree spring day? I'm thinking about where we were this time last year, as Ryan said, and we were huddled in a home in your Belinda, watching online, and that was sweet, but this is amazing. And so, so welcome. Thank you so much for coming out. Hope you enjoyed the pancakes. Hope folk on, online are enjoying one another. And I wanna start by asking you a kind of a weird question. If you were in a coma, you were in a coma for a number of weeks and you suddenly woke up and you were fully healthy, fully strong, the doctors released you, what's the first thing you would go and do? Okay, good. That's good, that's good. Thank you, Jim. Preach the gospel, that's great. Now we all feel inhibited because we wanna go get a haircut or something like that. But uh, would you take a shower? Would you go and get a pizza? Would you go and hug your mom? Shout it out, what would you do? In and out. In and out, great. Shout out to In and out, yeah? The beach, yeah? Chick-fil-A. No one would wanna take a shower, this is strange. Okay. Take a nap. No, no, you've just been napping. Come on, why take a nap? Wow, okay. All right, let me move right along then. <laughs> you must love napping. If you've been napping for three weeks, now you wanna take another nap, it's awesome. But um, the first thing you would do it tells us a lot about what you value. And I'm gonna read a passage that gives us a description of the first thing that Jesus did when He awoke from the sleep of death. The Bible tells us that after being crucified, He breathed His last, saying it is finished, it is paid in full, that He paid the full sum, the full price of our sin with His body and His blood. He died a sinless death, in our place, bearing the curse of sin to give us life. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And He died, He physically died. Blood and water hit the ground. They looked and they said, He is dead. And the Bible said that He descended into darkness and He arose on the third day. That's what we celebrate. That's why the church moved from gathering on a Saturday to gathering and worshiping on a Sunday because Resurrection Sunday was the moment around which all Christians gather. And we find that, that Jesus, while He loved His mom and loved His brothers, He didn't go and hug His mom and greet His brothers first. Uh, he didn't, as far as we know, go and grab a pizza or hummus and pita, whatever it is. He didn't go and get a haircut. What He did was He went and revealed Himself to his disciples, 1 Corinthians 15 says, over 40 days to over 500 disciples, he went and revealed himself in flesh and blood, saying, your faith is not in vain, it is me. The cross that looked like absolute defeat was actually hidden victory. I, 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 I disarmed Satan, I dealt with the problem of sin, I defeated death and here I am. 
That's what Jesus did. We find that after Jesus awoke from the sleep of death, He went and woke people up to His resurrection. And the good news is that Jesus still does that today. We find that what He values most of all is waking us up to the true glory of God. And the theologians call that word epiphany. Can you say that word? An epiphany is when we wake up to the glory of God. And we find that after His resurrection, time and time again, He wakes people up to the resurrection. It's an amazing thing being a parent, waking up your children. We've been parents now for 21 years. And in those first 12 to 13 years of being a parent, your kids just wake up all the time. They have this relationship with sleep where they sleep is the enemy. And you go, man, I wish you didn't love waking up so much. I wish you didn't wake up at 4 a.m. and jump on our bed. And then around 12 or 13, their relationship with sleep changes where suddenly sleep is not the enemy. Sleep, they fall in love with sleep. And then it's like, they will sleep until 1.45 p.m. if you don't wake them up. And if you do come and wake them up, I mean gently with a cup of coffee and slowly opening up the curtains, bringing in the dog to lick them, you know, they, they look at you with fear and loathing through these squinty gopher eyes. What are you doing to me? That's what they do. And they love to hit the snooze button again and again and again. Unless of course, they are waking up to go to the mall or the beach. And then it's like 6 a.m., I'm up, I'm showered, I've made breakfast, I've cleaned the house. <laughs> Everything's true except cleaning the house. They don't clean the house before they go. But, but if they're waking up for something good, waking up is fine. You know, when Jesus wakes us up, it's either a rude awakening or a great awakening, depending on whether we love sleep depending on whether we realize that what He wakes us up to is better than what He wakes us up from. Yeah. And I'm praying that every single one of us would have some kind of epiphany. The Bible says that if we have not put our faith in Jesus, we are asleep in our sin. And some of you, Jesus is gonna wake up for the first time to see who He is and what He's done. For others, we've put our trust in Him, but I think this last year has been a pretty sleepy year for many of us. COVID and fear and isolation and anxiety and uncertainty has kind of caused us to retreat into our homes like a bear into its cave. We've kind of hibernated and I'm trusting that the Lord would wake us all up to His glory on this Resurrection Sunday, amen? amen. So are we gonna read Luke chapter 24? Verse 13 to 35, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from, from recognizing Him. You know, you, you can be physically alive, but spiritually blind, spiritually dead. You can be seeking for God, but actually God needs to open your eyes to recognize Jesus. These people knew Jesus, but now their eyes did not recognize Him. And He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. 
Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which he were going. they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Christ is risen indeed. This is the word of the Lord. And we find that on the road to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, Jesus was gradually waking up these disciples to recognize who He truly was. And we find that He woke them up to joy, He woke them up to truth, and He woke them up to presence. And He wants to do the same to each one of us. I want us to see that this passage is, it's mysterious, but I think it's also hilarious. Jesus is incredibly playful here, where he joins these disciples on the road. Other texts say that Cleopas was likely a disciple of Jesus. These people, sorry, a family member of Jesus. These people were familiar, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And, and you wonder like, what was going on? Was he kind of masked? Was he kind of a, a ninja? Was he kind of a power ranger? Like, what was, was he dressed up? Why could they not recognize him? And he joins and he says, what is this conversation you're talking about? And can I join? Jesus eavesdrops. And you know what's amazing? It says, it's on the very day. That's how the passage begins. That very day. What very day? The very day that he rose from the dead. This is a few hours after he rose from the dead, conquering death, sin and Satan. And yet, which was intense, right? And yet Jesus is so playful here. He eavesdrops. I mean, for me, I love eavesdropping, especially in restaurants. I love kind of listening. 
every time my wife looks daggers at me, I've got chapter and verse, man. The risen Christ, <laughs> eavesdropped. What is that that you're talking about? Can I join the conversation? And they walk along. And Cleopas, we don't know a lot about Cleopas, but he is about to get foot and mouth disease. He looks at Jesus and says, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened? And Jesus just plays along. I think he must have chuckled. I think he probably put his nail scarred hands in his pockets so they couldn't see. Are you the only one who doesn't know that there was a guy who was crucified to the guy who was crucified? And he just plays along, he says, well, what things, what things? Well, Jesus of Nazareth, of course, as Jesus probably covers his Jesus of Nazareth name tag. <laughs> this is Jesus incognito. He is playing along, it's beautiful. And we had put our hope in Him. He was such a great guy. I wish that He'd risen from the dead. And in fact, even some woman ran to the tomb and saw a vision of angels who said they were alive. But you know, the apostles didn't believe these women, these charismatic, emotional women. We can't trust them. Dudes can be jerks, can't they? <laughs> Jesus revealed Himself to women for a reason. Women don't stop talking about Jesus. Yes. And it would be nice if He was alive, but we don't think, we'd hoped He was the one. And Jesus then just kind of mic drop, you foolish ones. I'm not the fool, you foolish ones. Slow of heart to believe. Didn't you realize that the Christ must suffer and move into glory. Jesus is waking these people up to joy. These people whose hope has been dashed. Oh, we had hoped. And the Bible describes them as they were sad and standing still. I think that's a great way to describe many of us. Sad, hope crushed, and standing still. It's like we've We've lost our momentum spiritually, emotionally, the uncertainty, the weirdness of last year. It's like we're sad and standing still. And Jesus is so playful. He's so joyful. He says, do you not know that I had to suffer and step into glory? In other words, He was saying, my suffering, if my suffering resulted in glory, then your sadness and suffering can be touched by my glory too. This is Christian joy, beloved. Christian joy is not the absence of hardship. Jesus does not promise us an easy life. Christian joy is not fake it till you make it. Actually, Jesus welcomes us into authenticity. And as I've prepared for this Sunday, there's such a celebration, but I've felt the need to give you permission to grieve and lament. Because lament gives authenticity to celebration. Because many of you have had really tough years. And even this week, my wife and I have sat with people who just said, this year has been so sad. It's like I'm sad and standing still. And I want us to see that the playfulness of the resurrected one touches you if you are sad and standing still. Why do you think Jesus was so playful? Well, I've got one theory and one fact. The first is that, man, he had three really hard days at the office. I mean, think about the intensity of the cross, bearing the sin of the world, breathing his last, 
being overcome by darkness, forsaken by His Father that we might be adopted and then descending to darkness, defeating death, disarming Satan, three really hard days at the office. I think, I'm not sure, I think Jesus was just like, I'm gonna have a bit of fun now. I'm gonna reveal myself to my disciples like it is finished, the work is done. I'm gonna have fun. I mean, there's one moment where Jesus pretends he's the gardener at the tomb. Another moment here where he pretends he's a clueless tourist. What things? He didn't need to do that. Another moment where he's like, you know what? I'm gonna give my disciples the most amazing catch of fish and then I'm gonna cook fish for them on the beach. Just playful, joyful. He was speaking to their sadness. He was speaking to their suffering. And he was saying this, do you realize that if my suffering, the excruciating suffering of the cross resulted in glory, then whatever sadness and suffering you have, if you place it in the nail scarred hands of the risen Son of God, I will touch it with glory. This is not triumphalism. I'm giving you permission to lament. But I'm also calling you not to be slow of heart to believe, not to pretend, but to believe and place your sadness in His nail-scarred hands. Why else was Jesus so playful in this way? One thing I know, hear me out. It's because in His resurrected body, He maintained His humanity. And that's good for our sadness. That's good for our joy. The theologians call it the permanent humanity of Christ. In other words, Christ took on flesh when He came to earth. He kept that flesh in His resurrected body. He kept the nail scars. He could eat a piece of fish. I know it was a resurrected body. He walked through walls, but He kept His humanity. And this is why that's good news for our sadness. It means that Jesus in His humanity means His victory comes with empathy. Jesus is victorious, but the Bible says He sits in heaven interceding for us with sympathy. He kept His nail scars. He didn't have to. He could have revealed Himself to His disciples as kind of this ghostly form, riding in the sky, hashtag raised to life, hashtag in your face Pontius Pilate. He didn't. <laughs> he went around for 40 days, flesh and blood, revealing Himself in these playful, creative, joyful ways to say, your humanity still touches me, the resurrected one. And I will keep my humanity so that in heaven, I will continue to pray for you with sympathy. That is good for my sadness. That is good for my suffering. How about you? My wife and I flew up to Northern California on Friday, suffering for Jesus, doing a wedding of a couple in our church up at Carmel, beautiful Carmel. We, we flew back last night, Nick and Carly Bass, and it reminded me of the ability of Jesus to touch someone who's in sadness. Nick Bast was baptised this time, five years ago, exactly. He was a student at USC, gripped by anxiety, gripped by sadness, but he put his faith in Jesus. He went down in this tank in there and he came up a different man and his family were all watching. And his father, who's an orthopedic surgeon with the Lakers, phones me and says, can we get a coffee? He says, I was awakened to faith because I've seen the change in my son. 
I had a kind of a faith 20 years ago, I lost it. I've been awakened, isn't it amazing? He says, but my wife is freaked out by all you guys. You sing too loud, you look too happy, she thinks you're a bit fake, you're in her face. Please pray for my wife. I said, Steve, I will pray for your wife. She comes the next week. The next week, I'm just praying, Lord Jesus, please meet her, meet her, meet her. She's a quiet, wonderful lady. And during that greeting time, when we all greet and that's wonderful and awkward, a lady called Adele walks across to her and says, hey, my name's Adele, what's your name? My name's Antoinette. Antoinette, I looked at you during worship and I just felt God say, go and ask her if she gets migraines. Antoinette, do you get migraines? She says, every day for the last 10 years. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Bible calls a word of knowledge. She says, well, look, this might be weird, but do you mind if I pray for you for your migraines? She's like, okay. And I remember I'd already got up to preach. Everyone sat down. They're still standing there. Adele's praying for Antoinette and she gets healed. She never left the church after that. The sister, Nick's sister is there, Sid, and she is hard as nails to the gospel. Nick gives her a Bible. She says, this means nothing to me. We go to Thailand with Nick and Sid, brother and sister, do a medical mission, then hang out with Dan and Marsha, and the Lord begins to soften her heart to the gospel. She stands up at the wedding yesterday in front of all the guests, weeping, says, Nick, thank you for introducing our family to Jesus five years ago. We will never be the same. Amazing. <laughs> Beloved, friends, never underestimate the power of one person waking up and through faith and obedience. You know, if you ask Nick today, do you still struggle with anxiety? He would say, yeah, a bit, but it's night and day from five years ago. The joy and the strength of God fills me and his family has seen it. I urge you, put your suffering and sadness in the human nail-scarred hands of the resurrected King and allow him to touch you with glory. Wake up to joy, wake up to truth. It says, and beginning with Moses, verse 27, and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. This must have been the most awesome Bible study. They walking, Jesus did not have a Bible like this, but He knew the Old Testament and so did they. And He began orally to walk them through from Genesis right through to Malachi, how all of Scripture was fulfilled in Him. And in case you wonder whether Jesus' playfulness means He didn't take the Bible seriously, He took it dead serious. And He would have said something like this, Cleopas and Cleopas' friends, in Genesis, I'm the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent that tempts you. In Exodus, I'm the atoning lamb whose blood took away your sin. In Leviticus, I'm the scapegoat who absorbed your guilt. In Deuteronomy, I'm the rock who was struck and water poured out for the thirsty. In Joshua, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. He would have gone on to the prophets and said something like, in Isaiah, I'm the suffering servant. In Joel, I'm the God who wins the battle for you. In Jonah, I am the one in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights who brings the storms in your life to a whisper. In Malachi, I'm the son of righteousness risen with healing in its wings. The Bible is about Jesus. 
I don't know who's taught you the Bible, but if they've taught you that the Bible is primarily about morality, it is about morality, but it's primarily about Jesus. If you've been taught that the Bible is primarily about principles for a better life or politics or science, it's got that there, but it's not primarily about that. It's a book. God spoke to us in a book and the book speaks to us about Jesus. And I wanna say, if you are here this morning, skeptical, welcome. But I wanna ask you, put your nose in this book and see how the prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled in such minute detail. It will help you to realise this is not a book where you check your brains at the door. This is a thinking man, a thinking woman's faith. You think about Zechariah 9 verse 9. 600 years before Jesus came. And it says, Oh, Jerusalem, your King will come humble and riding on a donkey. I mean, who can make that stuff up? Jesus came in at the triumphal entry as we heard last week. Isaiah 53, where it went into minute detail about the kind of death that the Messiah, the suffering servant would die, that He would be whipped for our transgressions, that His face would be marred by punching. That they would even divide lots for His clothing. All that happened 600 years later. You can't make this stuff up, beloved. Put your nose in the book and see that it's all about Jesus. Don't you see it? It's not primarily about morals. It's not primarily about principles for a better life. Making the Bible about morals is like saying, I went and spent a hundred grand on this Ferrari because it's got really comfortable seats. Really like those seats. I'm like, that's a really expensive way to get comfortable seats. Like you, you could get comfortable seats for 500 bucks. That's like looking at the Bible for morality. That's a really expensive and dumb way really. But actually, when you see that this is about Jesus, like the lights go on. And we awake from our sleep. And you know the beauty of realizing that this is about Jesus primarily is it enables us in a post-truth world where it's my narrative and it's your narrative. It's my truth and your truth. And what we were absolutely convinced was truth five years ago is now absolutely not truth. You know, there's something beautifully sane about anchoring your life in someone because the Bible is not just about something, it's about someone, it's not just a principle, it's about a person to anchor your life and build your life on a person that pre-existed our cultural moment and will outlast it. Because we are so jazzed by our cultural moment, aren't we? Oh, we see the truth. In 10 years time, we will look back on our cultural moment and say, we were asleep. And the beauty of coming to the person of truth is that you give Him power to redefine the other truths that define you. And I wanna say this so gently but firmly. There are truths in your life that define you, but they are not the ultimate truth. The truest thing about you is not your family of origin. The truest thing about you 
is not the color of your skin. They are all true. It's not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is not what you feel. It's true. It's not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is not what has been done to you. Some of you have, been, have had wicked things done to you. It's true. But I wanna say it's not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is not even what you have done. Some of you have terrible regrets about what you've done. The truest thing about you when you recognise the person revealed in this is what has been done for you, not to you. And when we come and we say, the Bible is about Jesus and revealed Jesus and He is true the same yesterday, today and forever. We bring those true things in our lives. We say, Lord, but this is not the truest thing about me. Please redefine me. You and what you did for me is the truest thing about me. And that's when you get these stories of people waking up from sadness to joy, waking up from addiction to freedom, waking up from abuse actually to health, waking up from being introverts to now being Introverts who love people. <laughs> Jesus doesn't promise he'll make you an extrovert. But beloved, this is a beautiful thing when we come to the truth and we say, oh, I give you power to be the truest thing about me. Your cross and your resurrection, what was done for me, let it be the truest thing about me. Wake up to truth. And then finally, wake up to presence. I just love this. We see the, the playfulness of Jesus again, where it says, oh, He pretended that He was going farther. Verse 26, 28. He acted as if He was going farther. And they said, we strongly urge you, it's nearly night, come in and stay with us. And so He stayed. I love it. It's like, Jesus was loitering with intent, pretending like He had somewhere to go and He had nowhere to go. Oh, come on, Jesus, come and stay. Oh, all right, all right. I love that about Jesus. Now we've got some friends and we South Africans, so we've got kind of this pop in culture and there's some friends that have kind of taken that up and we love it. We wouldn't love it if everyone did that, but they'll come around sort of like dinner time Oh, I was just on the way to the store. How are you doing? Great. 30 minutes later, they're still there. Oh, it's dinner. Oh, the kids. Oh. Would you like to stay for dinner? Oh, all right. <laughs> I thought you had to go to the store. Well, I don't need to anymore. I'm coming to dinner for you all. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Those are actually like fantastic friends. If, if you're gonna be that, at least bring a bag of chips or something, right? <laughs> but I love how Jesus loiters with intent here. What do you make of this? Oh, oh, okay, I'll stay. J.C. Ryle says a beautiful thing. He says, Christ doesn't force Himself upon us. He loves to draw out our desires and affections through prayer. Christ actually wants us to invite Him in. And some of you love having kind of the odd Bible study on the road with Jesus. It's one thing to to affirm, yeah, yeah, I believe the Bible talks about Jesus, I go to Bible study. It's a whole nother thing to say, come for dinner and stay. That's what Jesus really wants. 
And what he wants and what's happening here is the truth about, oh, all of the Scriptures are fulfilled by you, moves six inches from head to heart. And it says, and their eyes were opened and they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Can you see the transformation from, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe to, did not our hearts burn within us? You want that? Allow Him to come stay and have dinner. You too. She's saying it's lunchtime, mom. You know, you know it's, it's easy to look at these disciples as, as superheroes who have a special hotline to Jesus. But I wanna say their Jesus is our Jesus. And He continues to say, will you invite me in because I want to usher you into my presence. He said to His disciples, it's for your good that I go because if I go, I will leave you the Holy Spirit, my presence with you. And He begins to break bread with them. And this is special because this is the first time since Jesus' body has been broken on the cross where He said before the cross, every time you break bread, do it in remembrance of me. Now He's done it so they can remember. And as He breaks bread, this is my body broken for you. This is not just a loaf. I'm communicating to you my very presence as you break bread. Their eyes are opened and they recognize Him. Jesus wants to communicate His presence to you. How does it work? Let's go back to the garden and our land. In the garden, Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, eat this, eat this fruit and your eyes will be opened. And they ate and what happened? Their eyes were closed to God and opened to shame and they were banished from the presence of God. Jesus, the second Adam comes to these disciples and said, take this and eat. And their eyes were opened and they recognised God and they were ushered into His presence. In the garden, banished from His presence, at the table, ushered into God's presence. Jesus still wakes us up to His Word and His presence. Will you welcome Him in? Can this Sunday not just be a bite of church? I had a good little snack, church. That'll do me for a while. Can this morning be, I open the door and I welcome Jesus to the table This week I read a crazy story about a woman in a tourist party who joined her own search party. She went to Iceland. They were looking at a glacier. It was getting towards night. The tour guide called everyone back on the bus and she was missing. So they started a search party for this woman. She just went to the restroom. She joined the search party. <laughs> Three hours later, they, she realized they're looking for me. <laughs> and she had to say, it's me. It's me you're looking for. I'm here. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It was awesome. As I've prayed today, 
I just feel like some of us are here and like this is a tourist party. I mean, it's awesome. It's more than that, but it's pancakes and it's baptisms and you're here to check it out. And maybe you've heard about this weird church in the tent and we're checking it out. It's great. But actually this tourist party is your search party. But it requires some humility to say, I'm along with you guys, but it's me. Jesus, it's me you're looking for. It's me, I'm actually lost. I'm lost. And He loves to seek and to save what is lost. And He loves it when we say, I'm actually sleeping and I'm blind, but I need you to open up my eyes. He loves to walk in and sit at table with you, but you've got to open the door. Won't you open the door? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you arose, you awoke from the dead. Having conquered sin, Satan and death and you woke your disciples up. And thank you that you're waking us up too. Lord Jesus, we're sorry for hitting the snooze button. We're sorry for pretending we're found when we're lost. But today we come to you and we say, please open our eyes and we're opening the door of our hearts. And I wanna ask you whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, you say, I've gotta be decisive. I've gotta open the door of my heart. Jesus, come to table and open my eyes that I might recognise you. Won't you quickly put up your hand? Love to pray for you. Is there anyone here? Is there anyone here? I'm opening up the door of my heart. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Jesus, I pray for these people. Let today be marked by a door opening and an eye opening. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Thank you that as we turn from sin, as we admit, I, I'm lost. Come and find me. Come and wake me. That you love to do that. Did not our hearts burn within us? Please, Jesus, may we not just walk as people who give mental affirmation to your truth. May our hearts burn again within us as you walk with us. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you.